Welcome to the Shine Shine Geek the Shine Geek and Fast Fret podcast. Done. Well done. Okay, we're gonna use that. <laughs> Welcome to Zombocom. Zombocom? Yeah, Zombocom. Zombocom? You, you don't know what Zombocom is? I have no idea what Zombocom is. <laughs> Todd, Todd, Todd uses it all the time in the show. He goes, Welcome to Zombocom. That's EA or something. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway. Um, this is another episode of the Sean Geek and Fast Fret podcast, but really the show should be called the Sean Geek and Fast Fret and Karen B and uh, Rory Employee and Corey Geek and everyone else that shows up on the show and we would have the longest title in show business. That would actually be kind of awesome. It would be Or awesome. maybe you could just reduce it to like an acronym. Hmm. And it would be like ass or something. Yeah. <laughs> The uh, assembly <laughs> or asked the assembly of Sean, Todd, and others. I don't know. Anyway, um, uh, in the uh, chat room with us, in the chat room? No, in the studio, in his own studio. What is the name of your studio, sir? Uh, my, well, it depends on which studio you're talking about. There are several studios here. I'm a uh, very large, uh, large corporation of uh, of individual studios, but we can uh, call it the Geekspin Geekspin Studio. I, I like that. I do like that a lot. That is good. Yeah. Um, you also got the Abode of the Dam Studio. You've got uh, that was always my Sarcastic favorite. G Studio. I think Abode of the Dam is my favorite, though. That has always been my favorite. Yeah, I always thought that should have been the name of your like production company. Not Meet the Geeks. Meet the Geeks is cool, but that was a thing. I think Abode of the Dam holds more. Yeah, actually, honestly, the one that I was going to go for if I was doing a production company was actually going to be a Sarcastic G. What's the G stand for? Uh, it was for my uh, late uh, my late uh, father-in-law, Gareth. Oh. oh, awesome. Or Grandpa. Yeah. Or, you know, just like original G. Crazy guy. Crazy guy. <laughs> he was definitely a crazy guy. Oh man, gangster. You know, I don't know. Oh wait, did you introduce yourself? No, you haven't. So who, who oh. the hell are you? I don't know. Who am I? I don't even know anymore. Yeah, I just look in the mirror and I see a stranger staring back at me. It's all very existential in a lot of ways, you know. But <laughs> many of you might know me as the Core Geek. Yep, Core Geek. Ah. The other. Um, the uh, Corey Morissette from the end, the podcast will rock. He, he, he runs uh, the Van Halen podcast and um, sometimes online, like I'll, like you, you probably don't even know. Cause I don't always tag you, but I'm like, I'll, I'll mention you. And I say, Corey, I like, I don't say Corey geek. I don't say, I just say Corey. And yeah. then Corey Morissette gets all excited. You know, Hey, he's talking about me again. Like, <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's a time where, you know, Corey was a very popular name, you know, back in the 80s. You know, you had Corey mm-hmm. Feldman, you had 
Corey. Corey Ham. Yeah. Yep. And then yes. all 10 other ones, I guess. I don't know. Those are the only two I know. In 1987, teen actors Corey Haim and Corey Feldman appeared in a vampire movie that catapulted them to fame and fortune. Unfortunately, fame was fleeting, and the Corys left the public eye with bad headlines and bad habits. Twenty years later, here's Corey Feldman. He's married. He's a working actor. He's a neat freak. Here is Corey Haim. He's single. He's unemployed. He's a slob. Can two farmer heartthrobs and a wife share a house without driving each other crazy? Actually, come to think of it, you know, what I should do is get uh, some of those... uh... Remember that episode of Simpsons where Lisa became obsessed with uh, the Corey hotline? <laughs> oh my God. I forgot about that. But yeah. yeah. Yes. Hey, this is Corey. Here's some words that rhyme with Corey. Story. Glory. <laughs> allegory. Montessori. <laughs> Hi, you've reached the Corey hotline. 4.95 a minute. Here are some words that rhyme with Corey. Glory, story, allegory, Montessori. I need to get some of those on my butt. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I've been listening to some Corey Feldman uh, over the last couple of weeks. So some of his music, some of his videos, uh, some of his live performances that went disastrously, like disastrously bad. Um, there's one where, um, he's singing and he's, you know, he does all the Michael Jackson moves, right? He doesn't have any right. of his own. He just uses Michael Jackson's and he did the, you know, Michael Jackson does the, the head tilt forward there. Yeah. He smashed his face on the microphone. Oh, <laughs> like there's blood and everything. Anyway, very entertaining. Yeah. Now, I mean, now you're starting to get into punk, right? Yeah. 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 Then it's kind of like, uh, you know, the germs or something, but it was also funny because then I also watched another video. I watched a video of Kevin Nash, Diesel from wrestling, watching right. Corey Feldman videos. Oh, jeez. <laughs> like I went down the rabbit hole yeah. pretty fucking far. I'm a comeback, comeback king. I am missing, missing nothing. If you're going to, going to swing, you better make it sting. Cause I'm the comeback king. I'm a comeback, comeback king. Actually, you know, I think it'd be kind of fun to uh, combine Michael Jackson and punk. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, Alien and Farm did it. Yeah, they did, man. And yeah. it just showed that that song was pretty fucking edgy. Oh, yeah. yeah. On the last episode I did with with Todd, um, we were talking about new music, and he doesn't listen to new music, right? He's he's still listening to his '80s stuff, some '90s stuff, maybe. Yeah. But he's kind of set in his period of time and the band he's playing with, they play nineties, like a lot of nineties stuff. So right. he's kind of stuck in his, you know, in his, what he's listening to, but I, I'm always listening to new stuff. Um, or I try to, I mean, I'm usually two or three years behind any sort of trend, I guess, cause of my age. But, um, the, the song I was listening to, which we actually played in the episode, um, was a song by Sia and it's a song by Sia that nobody knows. Cause Sia, you know who Sia is? Yes, I know who she is. Okay, so you probably know, like, what? Like, what song um, of hers would you know? Just, like, the big one? Like, the Chandelier one? 
Yeah, pretty much. Uh, whatever the one was with that uh, kid dancing through yeah, the drums. Yeah, yeah, chandelier. Yeah. Now that's a good song, but there's another yeah. song off that album that I always gravitate towards, and it's it's got a punk funk thing, and it's fast. It's like really, it's anyway. I played that in the episode, and I think Todd was like, "The fuck, the fuck is this?" Speaking of uh, Fast Fred, I did invite him, but um, he doesn't always check his messages. Let's see. Did he resp- Did he look? Uh, nope. Sent it at 4.33, and he still hasn't answered. I, I think he started to uh, not look at his phone even more, which is commendable, actually. Uh, commendable, or is he just like the rest of us in advancing age, and, you know, this is like his bedtime? Well, he does go to bed at eight thirty. So yeah, so there you go. It's eight twenty-one right now. Yeah, and plus, you know, we're still getting off of you know daylight saving time, and you know that. So normally, I'd be in bed by right that. That did that did not go well. No, but not not with a new puppy. Oh God, yeah, no that that did not go well at all. And and the kids too. Um, um, uh, shit, what was I going to say? The kids are getting up an hour earlier. So what what I've been doing? I'm doing Nat- National Novel Writing Month. Yep. I'm I'm actually taking a tenth edit on my fucking book. <laughs> but you know what? A good movie, a good piece of art, a good writing piece. If you only do a couple passes at it, it's probably not enough. Right. You know, I mean, you, you do like when you're doing your drawings, you're, you're doing, you'll do a drawing and then you'll redo the drawing. Right. And you'll, yeah. you, you know, like you're just practicing at getting it right and you're eliminating certain details and then you're adding different details. Yeah. You know, like that. Well, it's like a batter warming up, right? You know, goes yeah. and takes a few back swings, gets, gets limber. I like that. That's a, that's a great analogy. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing now. Now, so it, I know we're supposed to be talking about something, but whatever, we're talking about other stuff till we get there. Mm. Say, you know, I knew I should have made a left turn at Albuquerque. But um, I I started reading a book right now, and the title see the title escapes me. That's how memorable this book is. Okay, that's it's not memorable. Um, but the idea is the idea of the book the the dust jacket like what it said in the dust jacket right yeah like wow this is gonna be great it's gonna be awesome it was it was related to the 1800s and freak shows and stuff like that and okay people that were a little odd so it had a victorian setting um yeah. it wasn't steampunk though they decided not to go in that direction but it was a 19 yeah. 1800s like 1900s wait 1900s yeah. yeah i guess 1800s late 1800s setting london 
there you go. You know, it's like, it's got all those nice elements and, and people that, you know, are shunned for being different. So I'm like, fuck, it's like X-Men and, you know, during those years, but you know, blending that with freak show stuff and, and Victorian era heroes. And I'm like, fuck, this is great. And I'm reading the book and it's a mess. And it's a mess well, because hate it when that happens. But it's a mess because at a certain point, I feel someone needs to step in and go, "Okay, this is your book." You, those that are only listening to this can't see, but I've got you know that would you hold your hands up saying you caught a fish that big? Well, that's what I'm doing right now. And this is what the book was, but it needed to be slimmed down to a nice fish. Oh, it needs to be edited. It needed to be edited. Need to have that ninth edit. And yeah. Karen and I talk about it on the show all the time, like the Marvel shows that aren't good. Well, you know how many, like how many times did they go through through a script revision? Well, three times. Well, then it's not, and and the show's not good. So, yeah, you need to, you can't just rush the product. That you got to get it right before you release it. And that's what happened with this book. Everything in the book conceptually is good. The characters are good. But there's certain things where they keep going back and forth in time in multiple instances in time. Right. But because it's in the 1800s and you're, you're moving ahead 20, 10 to 30 years back and forth, you have no ref point of reference. So you don't even know, like, are we in the present of the book or are we in, you keep forgetting and a lot of the names are very common. Right. So I keep mixing up multiple of the characters like, okay, which guy, is this the kid? Or is this the teenager or is this the old man? Because it's very, and there's, there's not enough, like, like if you walk into a room, say I'm writing you and you walk into a room or walk into a new scene in a book, I'm going to give a brief description of you every time you make a reappearance in the book. So say you show up in chapter one, you don't show up again until like chapter six for whatever reason, right? In chapter six, I'm going to say, Corey walks into the room his bearded face, his jovial smile and his glass. Like I'll, I'll remind people what you look like to go, Oh, yeah. that Corey guy. Okay. Yeah. 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 But he, they don't do this in the book. They Crazier just, than a shit house rat. Shit house rat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. there, so there's every, I'm, I'm lost in the characters. I, I don't know what time we're in. If we're in the future, the present, the past, and there's so many characters. Just, it's, it's just, it's, it's, I just spit. It's fat with characters. There's too many. Right. So I'm like, okay, everything you did wrong here, I'm kind of did the same in my book. So now I'm applying what I learned. That leads me to a question. Now, is this a book that was professionally published by a well-known publishing house? Yeah. Or was it released, you know? By somebody through self-publishing through like no, Amazon. Or- it's not self-publishing. That's what's. Do I got to tell you what the book is now? I feel bad. I don't want to slag anybody's work. Well, we can just you know keep it as innuendo. Oh my god, it's a trilogy. <laughs> oh, you poor bastard! <laughs> yeah, and the ratings like the ratings aren't. They're not above four. Okay. But but the but the like people generally liked it. They didn't love it, but they liked it. But every complaint is 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 this my same complaint? Like half yeah. the time, I can't figure out what's going on. But I'm doing the same thing. So what on my tenth edit? You know what I did? I have removed 
five characters out of my book. I just took them right out. Yeah. And what, but what, so, so far I'm like 10,000 words in and I, I'm having to write a whole bunch of new stuff. Like 75% of what I've done so far is writing new stuff, but it forced me to actually do character development on characters because I have time now. I'm not continuously introducing somebody new. I'm yeah. focusing on what's there. Well, it makes me think of uh, what Mark Twain said about writing. Uh, he referred to you know his words as his darlings and how you had to be vicious. You had to murder your darlings in order wow. to create good writing. It's true. Yeah. I mean, not everybody can be J.R.R. Tolkien. You know, you can't describe a tree for, you know, 15 pages <laughs> at a time, right? Yep. It's my... <laughs> I wonder if Lord of the Rings was originally intended as one book, and then the publisher is like, dude, let's split this off into, like, parts or something. Yeah. That's, that's just not... I mean, three pages of the tree, dude. Three pages of the tree. A whole chapter dedicated to Tom Bombadil. Yep. <laughs> I like Tom Bombadil, yeah. though. I've um, actually got the uh, the book on uh, Tom Bombadil, the uh, the poem that he, oh. he wrote it in prose. Oh, wait. So they they put that out as a book, like, on its own? No, there's actually, like, a whole... Yeah, there's, like, a whole book on Tom Bombadil written nice. by J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah. I had no it's idea. It's just this whole prose thing. Nice. I've lent it to you, but my entire life is in storage. Yes. My entire life is in my pants. Yeah. That's all I got. I don't know. That's been like my quote lately. It's just, you know, my entire life is in storage. Yep. <laughs> it's okay. There, I'll patting your back here. Pat, pat, yeah. pat, pat. Um, so, uh, so we're doing what all great talk shows do. Like uh, Johnny Carson, which I've been on a Johnny Carson kick lately. I've been watching lots nice. of Carson. And I'm like, wow, you all are doing everything wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm, I, I watch a show. It's so fucking good. He's so, such a good interviewer. And you know why he's a good interviewer? He's not really asking questions. He's conversing with them. Yeah. That's the difference. There's not like, okay, we have to hit this point, this point, this point. No, it's like Johnny would just go where the conversation went. It, yeah. it was great. His interview with Richard Pryor almost had me in <laughs> tears. Like it was, um, it was so, it was after um, Pryor had put him, lit himself on fire, freebasing uh, cocaine. Yeah. And he had just gotten out of the hospital and it was his first public appearance, I think, or something like that. And he was on the show and, Johnny's like general warmth with him was just, it was so real. And I think that's what he gets right. That a lot of the guys nowadays, like James Corden. Yeah. Like I, I I don't get it anyway, but anyway, what I was trying to say was when we have conversations, we're talking. I'm not, are we though? Are we really I think talking? So we're actually having a conversation. Well, I'm probably hogging the conversation, but yeah, kind of. You never shut up. You know, no, no, just, I don't. I'm just, I'm just sitting here, like you know, whatever. <laughs> so here goes Sean again. Well, this tonight's podcast is your idea. Well, I suppose it is. So tell oh, us actually, what this what, idea is. Oh wait, what? What do you guys say? I, I want. I had an idea back when you were talking about uh, you know the uh, the title of the book, and I came up with the perfect book title for you okay the title escapes me 
<laughs> just to really fuck with booksellers. People walk in there and ask, mm-hmm. hey, I'm looking for this new book. The title ex- escapes me. I like it. And, we both worked in bookstores. We both know yeah. how that would fuck people over. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, the book with red cover. Yeah. I think I, or, I, I think I might take that up. Might be yeah, interesting. Or the name of my uh, my punk band. And you can use the name of this punk band if you want. Closed, Spring for Cockroaches. That's good, too. Yeah, I mean, just this pr- looks great on a uh, marquee, right? Mm-hmm. June 9th, closed, Spring for Cockroaches. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so we're going to talk about the Killer Dwarfs. Yes. This is the third episode we talk about the Killer Dwarfs, I think. No. One the greatest, one of the most underrated Canadian hair metal bands. Mm-hmm. But more than just hair metal, though. No, yeah. They, they, I mean, like, they started out being um, like that first album um, was heavier. Yeah. It was more like British wave of heavy metal sounding. In fact, didn't Daryl Daryl tell us that we actually had Daryl on the show, Daryl Dwarf, yeah, um, or Daryl Miller? You know, we had him on the show, and they were they were confused as a British band for a long time. Well, it's because they're Canadian. You know, we're practically British anyway. So, no, it's true, true. Yeah, yeah, we're still a colony. We're not like you know those people up in the U.S. tossing our tea into the. Uh, into the uh, canals because, you know, we don't like being taxed. We love being taxed. We're Canadian. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just, it, I mean, we still got the queen on our on all our money. Yeah. And then one day we're going to have to look at, uh, you know, King Charles on our money. And that just horrifies me. Well, that's, that's unless he dies right away and then they'll have to put his son on there. Yeah. Instead. It's like, I think they're kind of waiting. It's like, well, Chuck Let's is kind of old. Yeah. This is going to be as, you know, live as long as his mother did. Please. That's, that's mean if he lives as long as his mother does, did. That's mean to us. Yeah. Take that back. No. All right. So, so this is an episode of breaking. We did one of these, uh, I can't remember when we recorded, but we, it was just released last week on our schedule for EZO. So the idea of the breaking episodes is we discuss something that broke us. It actually changed our mold into who we became afterwards. Yeah. I think I like that better. It broke our mold. There you go. I like that. Actually, I'm going to totally forget that I said this and I'll never use it again. Yeah, probably. But you know, it's the beauty of podcasting. Yes. For one brief shining moment, it'll be out there. Yep. And then people will go listen to um, Dak Shepard instead. Yeah. Or Corey Feldman. How come Corey Feldman doesn't have a fucking podcast? That's. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> That's what he should be doing. Yeah. Instead of. Well, I heard some really very, very negative things about him in my uh, Corey Feldman thing so it's like oh i kind of felt bad for the guy but i always i always have this opinion i have may not be a popular one but i but my opinion is that if you're someone that grew up with a troubled childhood or troubled adulthood 
and you treat people the way you were treated. So if you were abused, for example, like he was, mm. and you go and abuse people, that doesn't make you that you don't, you don't get a, a free pass. Yeah. And some people wear that badge as well. I was, I've been victimized so I can victimize everyone around me. Yeah. Which is what he's doing. If I, I let's, okay, we're not going to Corey Feldman. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to get that, amped. That's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other podcast. Hey, we talked about, um, threaten. We might hey. have to do a Corey Feldman style threaten one. Hey, or, yeah, we should do that. But we'll talk Actually. about Corey Feldman and the 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 perception he he thinks he's portraying versus the who he really is. That might be kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. I bet you Sam Thompson would be first in line to listen to that because I know secretly he owns all of the recordings of Corey Feldman. <laughs> I, I'm, that's and he's got to disprove it, and he's got to listen to the show to know we talked yeah. about him in order to disprove it. So if he doesn't disprove it, then it's true. You're being called out, Sam. That's right. We're calling you out. High I, noon. I got to stop giving him like free shout outs every episode. Like if his numbers keep going up and we're to blame, then we've only got ourselves to blame. Yeah. Does true. that make sense now? <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. I'm drinking coffee at this time of night. Like what the fuck am I doing? Anyway, getting back. Getting back. Yes. Dwarfs. So how, how. We, we, I think we talked about it a little bit in the episode we did with Daryl, but yeah. um, what was your first moment, your first dwarf moment? It, it probably was uh, We Stand Alone. Because, you know, when that album came out, that, that video was all over the place. It was all over much music, right? Okay, so for those that are unfamiliar with we stand alone which which one of those videos is it because i always get the the three the trilogy videos i always get mixed up which one's which it would be the third video okay. the one where they wind up succumbing to the uh to the corporate machine and you know become sanitized and they're okay, gotcha become the cuddly dwarfs yes and you know they're uh shilling cuddly cola yeah and they've got the the makeup on and the hair done the, up exactly right. Yeah, the, the big teeth and everything. Yeah. yeah, the bad tan. Yep. Yeah. So that yeah, was, that was really first, that was uh, your first introduction. That really was my first wow. introduction to the Killer Dwarfs. Okay. Uh, so that would have been off their uh, third album. And yes, that's correct. Yeah, that's their yeah. third album. Yeah. So that's kind of when I first you know got into them. When I first you know heard that album. Went out and bought it. Uh, I had it on tape. On tape, and yeah. So that really dates me right there. I'm I'm just pulling up their wiki here at the same time, just so we can provide some timelines. Uh, what was that like eighty six? So that was big deal, right? That would have been big deal. Yeah. Okay, so that's eighty eight. Eighty eight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, eighty eight, and that was on Epic Records. Yeah. So I think around the same time. Oh like yeah, Epic. Yeah, that was the big deal they had because they did three, three albums with Epic. Yeah. Before they were dropped, so yeah, that was the big that was the big deal, and I think that's the album, that's the album that got them uh, a lot of the recognition. I think uh, more commercial recognition, I guess. Yeah. Because of that video, because I mean that video was incredibly entertaining. Yeah. 
Actually, that but, trio of videos were incredibly entertaining. And if you've read uh, read Daryl's book, Thunderfoot, um, you know that they actually didn't like the song. Nope. They didn't think that is a killer dwarf song at all. Nope. It is very... Um, it's poppy. Poppy, yeah. Poppy's probably the, probably the right word. Yeah. But it's also... It did fit in, I thought, personally, with the killer dwarves image of, you know, there really were, in a way, wholesome... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, l- like you- yeah, like I- listen to their lyrics compared to everyone else in the hair metal scene of that era. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe Daryl would take uh, take offense to that, but you know, they were a little bit. They were more positive band. Yeah, like you know, it wasn't, it wasn't all, all lips and hips. It wasn't yeah. um, all, all girls, girls, girls. It wasn't yeah. all about you know constantly being drunk off your ass. It wasn't about, you know, it wasn't about getting high. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't all about the bling, bling, bling. Yeah. Yeah. There was about limos. It wasn't about, you know, it was real lyrics, man. Like I actually, like I spent hours today just listening to them just to get ready for today. And I actually made sure that I had the lyrics up because sometimes, uh, I can't quite make out what he's saying. Or what, uh, uh, what Daryl, Daryl, sorry, Russell, Russ. Russ, Russ. Is, what Russ is singing because he has a weird phrasing in his singing that is very unique to him. I find like, for example, um, a, a, a typical lyric of a band would be, we stand alone. We fight what's right. Like yeah. it's, it's one short sentence beginning to end and then the next line is another short sentence but he would do stuff where he would start a sentence and i'm not actually grabbing lyrics here but we are the and that's the first line and then the second line is ones that would and then like he like he doesn't stop sentences at the end of lines which sometimes i would be confused as to what he was singing about until i actually saw the lyrics in front of me i'm like that's actually brilliant songwriting that, that the, right. the hip does that too. The tragically hip does that where uh, like not a nautical disaster, for example, and this dream where I relished the fray and the scream and filled my head all day. It was as though, I'd been spit here, settled in, into the pocket of a lighthouse on some rocky socket of the coast of France. Yeah. Uh, hips, um, what rhymes with hips? Uh, tits. Uh, you know, they, they're not doing that. Like, he's not doing yeah. that as a songwriter. He's actually much more mature as a songwriter in like he, he must be like classically trained or something the songwriting well, I mean, is way way higher than the average band yeah well when you're talking about the hip you know it's gord downey was you know canada's poet laureate fuck yeah in a lot of ways and yeah i mean the killer dwarfs you know it was they were atypical for what you know, a 80s metal band was. Um, 
they're a lot more playful. They were a lot, yep. you know, more energetic. You know, they were like playful, said, but serious wholesome. at the same time. Like he had, he, Russ would drive around with that little tricycle on stage and, and yep. there was kind of a comedic, like the videos had, had a comedic sense, but the words was were telling, really good. And it was telling a serious story though. Yes. No, it, it was. was. You know, they're talking about, you know, this little band and that's, you know, the trilogy videos, you know, it was a, this whole arc of, you know, hey, we're small, we're just, you know, trying to make it. And then it goes to, you know, hey, we're indie, let's do this on our own. And then they succumb to the corporate machine. And at the end of it, they realize this isn't who we are. We have to be ourselves. Stand tall, stick to your guns. Yeah. Which funny enough was, you know, the middle song. Yeah, I but, know, you know, right? I always thought the the order was was different, and then they released their indie their indie album. Stand, yeah, but Santel was in kind of a way, you know, it was proving that they were an indie band. Yes, even though they were signed to Epic Records. At yeah. The time. Well, well, Stantall, according to the wiki page here, uh, that's the one that was on Maze Records. So that was just a little album. So they had done the record, they had done, like the first album was on Attic Records, yeah. which I, I think when, when, when we had um, Daryl on, like he just said, you know, we didn't, they're not a label you go to to make money. They're a label you go to to get exposure. Yeah. And then they left there and I, I've never heard of Maze Records before, but I, I'm, I think that was a very indie. Yeah. Uh, it was a very indie thing, like a very indie label. And then they get signed to Epic, which... Which was a big deal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which was the name of their third album. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, it's the one album that you can't find anymore. No, I know it's yeah, not. Can't uh, do anything with it. Yeah. Well, there's ways of finding it, but. Yeah. You know. But I, I mean, uh, if you. I think. I, I, can you not buy it from their website now? Not yet. Not yet. No, it, okay. uh, I double checked. Um, I know that uh, Daryl had mentioned that they're in the process of trying to get the rights back into the yep. uh, dwarf camp, but yeah, you know, that's, just, that's uh, a complicated minefield filled. Yeah, but I, I I have faith that they're going to do it one day. Sure. Yeah. You know. So I mean, how long did it take Paul McCartney to get his, to get the songs back? He doesn't even have them all back, but. Well, it's because they sold off the uh, entire catalog to uh, Michael Jackson. Yeah. Not happy about that. Mm. That was a deplorable thing he did. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, whatever. So, yeah, that was, I mean, I mean, 88 was a very big year for the Dwarfs. You know, that was also the year that they were touring with Iron Maiden. Mm. That's huge. That, uh, yeah, there was a famous uh, video. Uh, oh, of, Yes. Yeah, <laughs> of uh, Daryl Miller running out onto the stage wearing nothing but a pair of underwear and cowboy boots and suspenders. Yep. And then being caught by Bruce Dickinson and having said underwear ripped off. Yep. Leaving him bare-assed and swinging on the edge of the stage. <clears throat> I remember that, uh, that clip being all over much music as well. Yep. I can't yeah. even remember if they actually censored it or not. They might have back then. They might have, but you can find the clip on YouTube if uh, if you really want to look for it. Type in Daryl Dwarf's schlong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, maybe. Um, okay, so 
uh, I mean, we got we, we should play some songs so people know of whom we are speaking. So do you yeah. want to play? Um, I, I I don't think we should play. I want to play songs that for people to dig into. Like I don't want to play the obvious ones so right. much. So if you were going to play a song from that era. Or like, well, like, did, had you pre-selected songs to to play tonight? Because I no, have. no, I didn't. Um, so off, big deal. I would say, burn it down. Burn it down. Now this this album is the one I'm probably least familiar with, so this this will be good. And this is the first one that I ever picked up. Interesting. Okay. Well, yeah. this is burn it down off of Big Deal, the big epic album burn it down So I think that's a little less typical of what the Killer Dwarfs really kind of known for musically. You know, it's definitely one of their harder, um, one of their harder tracks. Um, but 
you know, I also think it's one of those deep cuts that just really kind of, I think it really kind of shows off the musicianship of the, uh, of the band. Yeah, definitely. You know, if you listen to, you know, say even like union of pride versus, uh, burn it down, you know, there's a very different sound, but the same, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Who was the, I I know they, they had a, a swap of guitar players. Jerry Finn replaced Hall in 1992. Yeah, it's just not a really good description. I know the guitar player spot was a rotating one. And um, think, what are you what are you finding there? I think for the most part, uh, for the first, uh, it was the same lineup uh, for Stan Tall and uh, Big Deal. Yes, it, they, I know there definitely was a different guitar player um, on the first album. Um, now, for me, my introduction to them was Heavy Men. Heavy, and I was never sure, Heavy Metal Breakdown or Heavy Mental Breakdown. I've seen it spelled both ways. And I, I wonder yeah. if they might have changed the title at, at some point. or. But that was my introduction, and that was the first guitar player. And I spent a lot of time listening to that first album. And yeah, the uh, first album, it was uh, Bryce Dwarf, who was uh, the guitarist. And he's come back and, and played shows with them here and there. Because I, I, pre, pre when we saw them live, um, I was watching a whole bunch of various clips over the years and kind of seeing yeah. the, the different guitar players. They, they have a couple of guys, I think, that were kind of back and forth in in and out of the band based upon availability too because when you're a band of a certain level you might still have to have some sort of day job um to make ends meet but i want to play something off the first album because i think the sound on the first album is quite a bit different this is when they were signed with with epic i'm sorry um attic i mean and attic um, so my first introduction to them was the metal for breakfast tape which had a lot of attic bands on there. So there was like Anvil was on there. Merciful fate was on there. And that was really, that was the album where I started to to listen to other things other than the stuff I was listening to. So, I mean, everything came off a kiss for me. So it was kiss and then it was uh, quiet riot and it was Motley Crue and those types of bands that were a little bit on the lighter side, you know, more hair metal, I guess. Yeah. But metal for breakfast introduced me to other stuff. It introduced me to iron maiden, introduced me to Judas priest and introduced me to the killer dwarfs. And that song blew my speakers. (laughs) (laughs) Like it was, now I don't want to play heavy metal breakdown because it's it's like oh it's the song everybody knows, and that's fine, but there's a lot of other great tracks on there and the guitar who's the guitar player you said was was it, was it Jerry, uh, Bryce Dwarf. Bryce 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 is phenomenal like he um, his understanding of the fretboard is probably unparalleled from all the guitar players they've had he seemed to have a really well rounded spectrum. Uh, of playing like from Eddie Van Halen style stuff to KK Downing style stuff. Like, um, so I'm the song that I picked off that album. Uh, it's called can't lose, which they, which we saw them play live when we saw them. Yeah. Uh, we're just going to share our ugly mugs. 
trying to share our ugly mugs. There we go. Uh, so this song is called Can't Lose, and I think you'll recognize it as soon as I, as soon as I play it. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? Oh, never I'm ready. ready. <laughs> nice. I like that. That's good. Okay, this is called Can't, <laughs> this is called, this is called Can't Lose.
like that. Oh, yeah. And one thing that I noted is that um, for the first lineup, it was actually a different bass player and a different uh, yes. guitarist. Yes. Yeah. Who did they did so. they settle on on a ba- on a regular bass player at a certain point? Uh, Ronald uh, Ronald Dwarf or Bad Rombo Dwarf in what from the second album on, or did yeah. they swap out the the bass player as well? Uh, no, that was uh, that was the bass player, and then it was Mike Dwarf who was uh, the guitarist. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I like. I remember, um, I remember them doing this one, and I, it was a song I was not super like. I'm not as familiar with the first album, and I think no. it was after that show that I really started going back and listening to it. And it does have a very, very different sound because um, I think all the Attic Records stuff, like Lee Aaron, I think was on Attic Records as well. Like I think there yeah. was a a similar. I don't know if they're using the same producers or whatever, but I I think there was a similar. Uh, sonic sound to all those albums that were on there. There's uh, a slightly tinny sound to it. That yeah. I thought. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. And that, that, that lead guitar was way back in the mix. Yeah. Like for that solo, it was, it was way too back in the mix. It should have been like right up front because he had some tasty stuff there, but you couldn't really make out all of it. But I don't know, like I, I li- listening to that album today and like hearing all the different guitar parts on it, I was like, fuck, that guy was good. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I remember watching video because when Heavy Metal Breakdown came came out, which was 83, and I think I 84 was when we got Metal for Breakfast, and they would be on Much Music, which was the Canadian MTV, right? Yeah. And I remember seeing shenanigans with with this band. They would, they would be on, like, they'd, they were recording them in the street and stuff. And I remember the, um, just the camaraderie just seemed to be like, really be there. But yeah. like, like, like Daryl told us, like they weren't making any money. It was just, you know, pure exposure at that point. Yeah. Which they got a and lot also of it. with, uh, with him, you know, ducked down in the background. Cause you know, he's taller than, uh, every yeah. other yeah. member of the band. Yeah. <laughs> he's a monster of a man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, so that was my introduction. And then, I remember the, the trio videos, I remember seeing the, like yeah. those after, which, which tell a, a very good story. Um, and anyway, their videos are so fucking good. Yeah. So the next two videos, uh, both came off of, uh, stand tall. Yeah. Uh, keep the spirit alive and, uh, stand tall. Yep. Um, I actually think keep the spirit alive is, you know, the next song that we should maybe take a listen to. That's uh, not a bad idea. That that I I will admit at the time I I I think I felt it was a little weak sauce at the time, but seeing them play it live, like actually yeah. seeing it live, it was like shit. This is quite good. Like this is this is really quite good. And I think it's the song again that actually showcases who the dwarfs were. Like you know, like I said, you know, there's that positivity. There's that you know just. No matter what happens to you, just keep going forward. Yep. And uh, I don't, I don't think they expected it to be as big as it was. Like, yeah. I mean, it's wow. I'm gonna have to YouTube this, eh? Well, you might have to. Yep. Well, how about that? 
Well, yeah, because they, they're still uh, tied. That the rights to that album is still tied up. All right, uh, I'm gonna stop the share. For, let me. I'm just gonna. You just keep talking. I'm gonna. I'm gonna find this. Damn it. So there it was. In the streets of Burbank. Had a little too much to drink. I'm just stumbling <laughs> along. Holding onto the wall for dear life. Trying not to fall off the earth. It happened to me in those days. Those crazy days of youth. Back when I was a young man. All right, I got it here. Then I saw her. I have a question for you. Should we yes. should we watch the music video, which is incredibly horrible quality? There isn't a good version of it. Or should we watch a live performance of it? Let's go live. You want to go live? Yep. Okay, let me share a screen with you. And um, Actually, if we're going to check it out live, maybe we should have checked to see if it was on live. No guff. Oh, shit. I didn't even think about that. Which they really need to release as an album, like on CD. Yeah, it is on there. Okay, we'll do that. We'll share it there because it'll be the best quality. Yeah. All right, let's share this puppy. I thought it would have been good to see a live performance, though. Like, we could actually play the video. Like, like actually see them perform. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we should do that. Okay, we can do that. Um, let me see. I'm going to see if I can find a, a decent one. Dwarfs. I got, I got one from 2001. Are you ready? These guys are so good live. They sound so awesome.
No. <laughs> Nothing more metal than fucking breaking a tricycle into a million pieces. Now, here's the thing. You know, this is 2001. That was a live performance, and you saw how clean his singing was. Yeah. Even while doing handstands, standing on his head, mm-hmm. flipping all over the stage, riding a tricycle. Mm-hmm. And 20 years later, he still sounds exactly the same. Yeah, when we saw him, he still sounded the same. Yeah. He didn't lose any of that upper, upper register at all. I, I don't no. think when we saw them, I don't think they tuned down at all. Most bands no. tune down like, a, you know, a step to, you know, because I mean, we all get older. Our voices change. Like I, I can't do the stuff I did, you know, 10 years ago. That's for sure. Yeah. You listen you know? to uh, Bruce Dickinson now, you know, his, you can definitely hear the difference in his voice from, you know, when he was a young man to sure. where he is now. He's still an amazing singer, but yeah, you know, but, it's lower think, and he yeah. can't carry those really big high notes yeah that he used to boy that was but russ russ is still russ is still still going he's i i told i told the story before how um when i when uh, they opened for skid row um and he went on stage russ went on stage and did a sing-off with with sebastian bach and kicked his ass yeah yeah even sebastian just threw his hands up and said fuck this i can't top this guy yeah it's fucking great and i mean you know then of course we well we saw uh, killer dwarfs uh we also saw you know daryl miller as a uh as drummer just hammering away at those drums like he's got something against him yeah yeah he was ornery he that least... night as we as we as we later learned <laughs> he yeah. had good reason to be ornery yeah not horny well, was... i said ornery 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 <laughs> not hornery but he was they sound like a much younger band. They don't yeah. sound like they've been around for 40 years. They're Mm-mm. still, you know, they sound as good as they did back in, you know, when they started 40 years ago. And I like that there's a resurgence coming. Like they're, yeah. everything's cyclical when things start to become classic. Cause stuff in the two thousands is classic rock nowadays. Right. So now they're, yeah. they, they, now that they've, they kind of been rediscovered that way. And like, they're getting these cruises Getting to do these cruises now, which are Monsters of Rock. Monsters of Rock. Yep. Otherwise known as Mork. Mork. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly it doesn't sound so cool, does it? Nano nano shalbat. Well, I don't know. Mork for Mork. Yeah, Mork for Mork. Yeah. Nano nano. Nano. Um so okay, so now we we we, we hit uh, that might be the biggest hit, the one we just heard. Is that, is that nope. Nope. No, there might be one that uh, that's a little bit better known. That one? No? No. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> it's coffee. It's called coffee. Okay. Yeah, no, there, uh, there might be a one that, you know, it's a little bit dirty. Kind of weapony. <laughs> is that is that a bigger hit, though? I thought I thought so. I mean, that's the one that they, were, they closed off uh, the show uh, here in Trans- or here in Winnipeg with. Okay, you know that was it their was, encore. I, I do I do like now that album was one that I, I that wasn't that wasn't the one I, I was listening to. It was always the Santal album for me. Yeah, that I was listening to, and then you know re- later rediscovered like the first album, and um, I, I think around the time we we were getting Daryl Miller on. 
I think we were like, I, I think I, I went back and actually I bought the CD online and then, um, I really started listening to it going and then, and then also reading Thunderfoot and going like this producer got Andy them. Jones. Yeah. He just, he got them. He, he figured out, okay, how do we make you as a band sound good? He didn't try He didn't, how do we make a band sound good? No, how do we make the killer dwarf sound good? He actually, whatever he did, he catered to their sound. So they sounded like them. It didn't sound like, like that new, if you have, haven't heard that the new Tesla album produced by, uh, Mr. Abs from Def Leppard. I don't know if you've heard it. No. It's utter crap. It does not sound like Tesla. It yeah. sounds like a Def Leppard album. Sometimes when a producer comes in, the band doesn't sound like the band anymore, which is what they did yeah. with Tesla. And that album is, it's embarrassing. It, it's, it's really not good. And it's not a great representation of who they are. You know, he changed the sound. He sounded like, you know, a Mutt Lang record, right? Yeah. But Andy Johns got them down like on Dirty Weapons, as you've alluded yeah. to. The, there's, there's too many good songs on that album. Yeah. And I think, I think he, he must, did he, did he work with them like on the songwriting? That I don't know. That I honestly cannot say. Because the tunes are tight. Yeah. They're, he worked with them on the timing of the songs. He worked with, you know, making them sound less like they're working in studio, more like they're performing live. Mm. You know, he brought out some across. aggression. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The aggression. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On the drums. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you listen to Dirty Weapons. That's the first thing you hear is those drums. Mm-hmm. Like that's the first I mean, thing it's almost as, it's almost as iconic as you know the uh, opening uh, drum line for uh, um, Puss's sister. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we're not going to take it. Yeah, it's one of those ones you hear as soon yeah. as you hear the uh, drums, you know which song it is. Talk about signature, like that's there's yeah. very few songs, like uh, "Rock and Roll" by Led Zeppelin, for example. With the the intro to that is like uh, that's fucking John Bonham. That this yeah. has got to be Led Zeppelin. It, it's so signature, and the opening to "Dirty Weapons" is so fucking signature. Like it's, yeah, it's like, hey, this is us. Yeah. Take a fucking listen. And I don't want to say this, but I want to say it. I haven't really listened to uh, Method to the Madness or to Start at One enough to really say that this is true, but I really do feel like Killer Dwarfs, uh, Dirty Weapons, that was the band at its peak. Sure. At their absolute best. Sure. And I mean, you know, Method to the Madness, you know, Hard Luck Town. And, uh, you know, start at one. It's just, they're both excellent albums. And yes. I'm sorry that it took me, you know, 20 years to be able to actually hear these. Well, yeah, but there was albums, a problem but... hearing these albums. There was, there was issues with distribution and all that. So 
fuck you music industry for fucking it up because we should have had access to these albums we should have been able been able to have the time to fall in love with these albums properly yeah fuck you grunge yeah 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 Anyway, anyway, uh, so so what are we gonna play then? Should we go Dirty Weapons or should we go the Dirty Vegas Weapons? Song? Oh hell yeah, Dirty Weapons! All right, you're sure here. <laughs> you're you're sure here. No, no, I'm not sure. Oh. Just play the fucking song, Sean. All right, all right, right. I I gotta put our faces on screen here. Dirty Weapons. I can't see. Well, you never fought too fair. Dirty weapons, so yeah. Okay, I, I I don't think people are ready though. Like like this intro, like, are they ready for it? Uh they better be ready because it's coming their way, whether they like it or not.
And that was the opening song of the album. <laughs> I mean, Wait. it just reaches right in and grabs you by the yeah, you're like, Jesus and tells you, come on, we're going on a ride. Who the fuck is this band? <laughs> like, holy shit. Yeah, it's a pretty deadly opener. <sighs> I gotta tell you that song always gets me that one just yeah that gets me going i wasn't gonna play because like it's too popular but yeah it's popular for a reason yeah it's really fucking good like i just can't say enough about it but yet i'm also i'm at a loss of words right now this is giving me new ideas for other albums we need to do too like there, there's a there's a parallel to this song in Modern Day Cowboy from Tesla, which is a very similar themed and at least um, song about the world, you know, nuclear weapons and making war and all that sort of stuff. For me, this is one of those um, this is one of those songs that kind of you know brings you back to you know a good place back when your know, life was doing well i was happy and there was a lot of killer music on you know uh Anarchy in the uk by uh motley crew had just come mm. up which was also you know just it was a great cover of the uh you know the crew was at the at their peak as well yeah you know a lot of bands were just you know really starting to peak around that time and then something happens and you know the entire metal industry just collapses something happened you're like what are you alluding to well, it's just, you know. Grunge. <laughs> grunge. Grunge. Yeah. I got to catch my breath. Yeah, I know that was. <laughs> okay, so so Dirty Weapons release was released in 1990. Yep. Uh, like we said, Andy Johns was the uh, was the, the producer. Producer, is that the right word? Yeah. He, he, mixed, he produced, mixed the album, whatever. And... Yep. um. They did release two more albums after that, but it was spotty in the industry because, yeah. uh, so it, it, Dirty Weapons 1990, right? And the, 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 the switch on metal really turned 90, was it 1991? I think, right? When was Nirvana, when was uh, Nirvana, Nirvana, <laughs> Nirvana? Well, it, was, it was right about that time that all yeah. those fans were starting to come on, you know, Soundgarden, Nirvana, um, you know, just that whole different sound was starting to really kind of take off. You know, to be honest, when Soundgarden released Loud Love, because they were the first Seattle band that was signed like a big late signed to a, not the first, but like the first of that era that was signed to a big label and Louder Than Love had come out in 89, I think it was. Yeah. And it fit in for some, for in, in me, in my head, in my ears, Dirty Weapons and Louder Than Love, they they went, I don't know what I'm doing this. They kind of went well together. Like they, they, yeah. they paired well together. They weren't that dissim, like they weren't dissimilar from each other in terms of tone and stuff. Cause I, Russ wrote some pretty damn stellar lyrics. Yeah. And I mean, so did Soundgarden. Soundgarden were tackling things too. So I don't know, like a, a, a double bill of those two on tour. I mean, the dwarfs toured with Pantera too, right? So yeah. 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 And I shouldn't say that, you know, grunge necessarily took over. It's just that metal was changing to something yeah. a little bit different. You know, we're starting to get bands like, you know, Rob Zombie. Mm-hmm. You know, we're starting to get that more industrial sound. Yeah. You know, we're getting kind of bands like, you know, Ministry. Ministry, and yeah. Nine Inch Nails and, you know. My Electric uh, Hellfire Club, you know, all those bands were 
you know, they're really on the rise and, you know, they have that more electronic sound, whereas, you know, obviously, you know, bands like the Killer Dwarfs and uh, Motley Crue and everything were more, you know, just kind of guitar and bass driven. Yep. I, you know, you can't even compare Motley Crue to Killer Dwarfs, can you? No, I mean, they're both unique sounding. Yeah. They both had very charismatic uh, front men. They yes. both had excellent drummers. Yeah, good point. Yeah. And they both had, uh, just listening to this song here, Dirty Weapons, uh, in, in versus uh, when we listen to the track from the first album, the, the recording of that guitar solo, that guitar solo was right in front. It was clear. And yeah. you could tell it wasn't a first pass solo. It was one like, okay, that's not tasty enough. Yeah. Like, I, I think they, 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 I'm assuming they made the guitar player come back, do it again. Like, it, it more, more, more feeling. Cause the feel in that solo, I'm not saying he's better or worse than any of the other guitar players they had, but I think there's times where you're playing the solo to suit the song, and there's yeah. times you're just showing off, or there's times you're just doing a solo. This solo for this song is so it fits so well in the song it's showing off the guy's chops but it's not taking away from from the rest of the song like it's 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 right in there in the pocket it's it's one of my favorite solos for sure the way i sometimes describe it is you know the guitarist is just masturbating at this point Mm -hmm. right but that's not what he was doing he was but that 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 happened in the 80s a lot though right there was a lot of masturbatory guitar like if you look at a band like um Shotgun Messiah, two two lead guitarists in one band, yeah, just soloing. We can't sing, but you're also gonna have like crazy solos with like just just gyrating on the freaking whammy bar and stuff. Like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of bands like that during that time. Vinny Vincent. Oh God. I mean, Vinny Vincent was a great guitar player, but let's face it, Vinny Vincent Invasion. It was just him masturbating on the guitar. Shit, so we're not doing a Vinnie Vincent Invasion episode then? Okay. Oh, we're gonna do we're gonna do a Vinnie <laughs> Vincent Invasion episode. I mean, Boys Are Gonna Rock is still one of my old favorite do, we, songs. We, we, but... could do, we could do a whole episode just on that song. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, especially, you know, some of the visuals and everything, you know, and all the guys come running out and you're just kind of going, Okay, is this is this yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's so entertaining a video. Yeah. We might have to do a watch along with that one. But um um, I want to play another song off this album. Okay. And, and, and I know we should be giving love to the two albums that came after this, but like you said, this might've been their peak and there's in particular, there's one song on this album that I really, really like. It might not be your cup of tea, but it is my favorite killer door song of all time. Okay. And it's the one I always go back to, even if I'm not into a, metal mood or hair metal mood it's a song that invariably just i just go back to when i when when i'm feeling something i guess and i don't know what the song's about maybe we can talk about that when we're done listening to it because i'll I'll put the lyrics up as well but it's a song that uh, my friend tracy sent to me when i wasn't very much of a killer dwarfs fan and she's like she went nuts for dirty weapons she bought the cassette and she you gotta listen i'm like yeah like I, I was out of that band by the time. Like I, 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 I was good. I didn't, and she forced me to listen to them and she gave me two songs off that album 
Yeah. And, and, and this other song was the one. And I'm like, oh, they're not just another hair metal band. This, this is the song that made me realize, because I, I mean, Dirty Weapons, I couldn't make out the lyrics maybe at the time. But I, when I heard this song, I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, this is not Motley Crue. This is not whatever. They weren't a vapid band. This is when I'm like, okay, wait a minute. These guys are fucking serious. They're funny, but they're fucking serious. So if if we could, I'd really like to to put that song on. Okay. So it's called, the the song's called Want It Bad. Are you familiar with Want It Bad? Do you remember what song that is? Uh, I'm going to share our mugs here. Do you remember this song? Well, I own the album. I better. Okay, here we go.
So good. Wow. I I get goosebumps every time I hear it. Yeah. It it's the song's never dulled for me. Yeah. I don't it makes me feel a certain way and I feel it's about a certain thing. But I'll listen to it a different time and I was like, it's about a different thing. Like I don't know if it's a song it's, about addiction or about suicide or about It's one of those songs that could really fit just about any sort of mental illness really mm-hmm. yeah could be about depression it could be about you know addiction it could be about you know just low points yeah like yeah but it's so good and i don't know like i sometimes when i'm depressed this is a song i listen to you know yeah. and it's and it's just it's one of those talking songs. through your feelings. You know, it's a song you're able to talk through your feelings while you're listening to the song. And and then when the song's done, you're, you you feel a little bit better because you kind of purged yeah. maybe a bit. I don't know. It's it's a very powerful song. It's one of those songs that you can ugly cry to. Yeah. Yeah. This ain't no... Yeah, don't go away mad. Girl. Girl, just go away. <laughs> fucking way better than that song i'm sorry yeah. i'm a, I'm very anti-motley crew at the moment because of the shenanigans going on going on yeah, in their camp i know i know because i, I always mean, felt that mick mars was like was a gem in that band he was always my favorite guy in the band and i had commented that he's one of he's the only he's the only band member that feels like he's real mm-hmm. yeah. everybody else feels like they're they've been produced. Yeah. I mean, Tommy Lee, you know, Tommy Lee has his points. He does have his points, but then he has more points that are not points. I find, especially like the, the longer the career goes, he's just a cartoon character. Like he's not even, yeah. Like I don't even character with a huge slog. Yeah. I don't even care if he can play drums anymore. Like it's, that's not what he's about anymore. Like, yeah. Did you hear Mick Mars's new single? No, I haven't yet. I've uh, I've really got to sit down and properly listen to it. I will but, say um, that even Sam Thompson, who hates that kind of music, said it's not anywhere near as bad as anything Motley Crue's ever done. And yeah. he hates that kind of music. I think it's very good. Well, I mean, let's face it. You know, Mick Mars was, was a blues guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he was all about the blues and he was all about, he was a technical blues guy. Mm-hmm. So. And he's got a, and one thing that's really difficult, especially with those bands of the eighties was having your sound as a guitar player, like Eddie Van Halen had his sound. It was the Brown yeah. sound, right? That was the Eddie sound. You knew it was Eddie when it was, when Eddie was playing, you knew it was someone imitating Eddie when they were imitating Eddie, that they weren't Eddie. You know, like he had his own sound and like Steve Vai has his own sound and Joe Satriani has his own sound, but Mick Mars, maybe he's not as regarded in the same echelons as, you know, as those guitar gods, but he had his own sound. It sounded like Mick Mars and without him and Motley Crue, they would have gone nowhere because he had a signature guitar sound that, that was an identifier for the band. In, in my and opinion, I, I'm sorry that he's just getting his chance now to really, you know, put his voice out there mm-hmm. because I would have loved to have heard what 
his solo album 20 years ago would have sounded mm-hmm. like 30 years ago sure but maybe it took that time to to mature and that time to yeah. to stew for a little bit but go take a listen I'm, i'd be curious to hear your opinion but i i like the song i think it's good in fact i like i'm gonna be honest I don't go back and listen to Motley Crue at all. It was a period in t- for me, it sounds dated and it sounds like the eighties and when I'm in an eighties mood, yeah, I'll listen to it, but it's not, yeah. for me, it's not music that carried forward at all. Now Mick yeah. Mars on his own, maybe it does. Like, I don't know. I, I, I do like it, but we're not talking about Mick Mars. We're talking about no. the signature guitar sound of this album is very, very strong. Now, one thing that I noticed listening to the uh, album, uh, especially through here, it sounded like Russ's vocals weren't as forward as they are in a lot of the other albums. No, like Andy Johns was giving more, was giving more equal time to you know the guitar sound, yeah. the bass sound, and you could you know, hear the, the bass player in this song. These the bass player had some some really nice runs in there, but you yeah. could hear it. It wasn't like. It's like when those runs happened, it was a bit more forward in the mix so you could catch it. And then it, it yeah. tailors back for when, when Russ is doing something or when, yeah. when uh, Daryl is doing something or, or the guitar player is, well, like he had a lot of tasty spots on this album and you hear it. Like it's not, yeah. you can sing to the solos. That's what I find. Like the solos are, 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 um, vocal or I don't know what the word is like a, a good Joe Satriani solo. Mm-hmm. His his solo is like a chorus, right? You know that you could sing along to, you know, like and yeah. and this guy's this guy's playing is really good, yeah, really good. I don't want to end on a downer though, like on, on no. a, not a downer song, but like a what what do we play something else from Dirty Weapons or do we do we go somewhere else? I don't know. I was almost thinking that that was kind of you know, the perfect place to kind of just kind of end. Because... I could end it there. And here's my reasoning. This is what I was thinking: is we don't know what the stories are behind Method to the Madness and Start at One, and you know the live album, and you know Russ's, uh, you know acoustic album. Mm. We don't know those stories yet. So I'm thinking, you know, maybe we'll save our opinions on those albums Do after Thunderfoot Part Two comes out. Duh. Daryl, here's your challenge. You got to put, you got to put the freaking book out, man. Yeah. I know you, I think he, I think he said he finished, he finished it or in maybe in the editing stage. I can't remember what he said. I know he said it was pretty close. Yeah. And he's talked about it on, uh, on Twitter as well. So. So in other news, I reached out to Daryl Miller, AKA Daryl Dwarf. Um, and we love you, Daryl. Just to see if there's going to be any new music or anything else coming out from the uh, Dwarf Camp in the near future. So he did let me know that there's going to be new Dwarf music coming out. It's not going to be a full LP, but initially it'll be single tracks that can be downloaded. And then Thunderfoot uh, 2, the uh, sequel to his book Thunderfoot, is going to be coming out in the fall of 2024. So some very exciting news there. Anyway, thanks, thanks guys for the music. Like... Yeah. You actually helped shape us and actually you broke our mold. I remembered what I said. Yeah, you, you broke go. the mold. You broke our molds. Yeah. You made I us mean, appreciate music. Dwarfs. Yeah. Without Killer Dwarfs, you know, I don't think we would have had as much bond over. I mean, we still had a lot to bond over, but yeah. you know, we bonded over Killer Dwarfs. Hell yeah. 
Yeah. And we have more. We have more breaking episodes you and I are going to do. We gotta, oh, fuck yeah. I want to get Tracy on one of these. I think there's something um, that the three of us could probably uh, bond over music-wise. There must be an album or band three of us could probably agree on was uh, instrumental in shaping us. You know, you got me thinking about this now. Because one of the things that I wanted to do when I was writing about music or wanting to write about music was do a review of the 12 albums over the course of the year, do one, you know, either podcast or one article a month about 12 albums on vinyl that helped shape me, helped break my mold. Um, so, you know, one of the ones that I might suggest if, you know, we're going back to the 80s is uh, Twisted Sister Stay Hungry. Because that is, for me, that is where it all really started. Sure. I'd love to talk about that and just, you know, talk about Twisted Sister, you know, the, seeing those, you know, the first, the, seeing the Looney Tunes uh, videos <laughs> and. Yep. You know, so I, that was my first, first ever cassette was, was Stay me, Hungry. Me too. Really? Me too. Eh? Yeah. So maybe let's check with Tracy. See, uh, I think see that would be worth that. bringing her in because she's got uh, a lot of val- valuable insight, uh, yeah. especially for for the eighties stuff. All right. Well, I'll I'll start a chat message uh, between the three of us and okay, and um, we'll try to set up a, a date for that. Sounds good. Awesome. Okay, brother. Thanks. This was awesome. It, it was, was fun. It was easy. That's what I like. These are just so easy. Yeah, There's no effort. I'm not. A- I don't it's even two audio fails talking about music. Uh, you can find uh, Geeksman will be back. I'm sure at some point. At some point, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for that. But you can find uh, our podcast. Our homepage is at seanmcginnity.ca. If you don't know how to spell it, Todd can tell you how to say it in a sexy way. I'm sure. Or maybe you Corey, can find Corey can do a sexy desire. <laughs> Nice. We so, uh, we need a desire T-shirt. Yeah, maybe I could Photoshop I, Todd's face on like on uh, like uh, like on um, Burt Reynolds' body or something. I've actually spent time trying to find the perfect font for it. Oh, okay, good. Well, when you find it, yeah, I've got an idea of what I want to see on the desire shirt. But okay, yeah. <laughs> and you can find my podcast at uh, geekspinpodcast.castos.com. Okay. Uh, and uh, all social media for you is at Geekspin, I believe. Yep. You can uh, just look for uh, Geekspin Podcast and you'll probably find me. All three words, though, like on social media? Yep. Geekspin, Geekspin Podcast. Podcast. And uh, us at Sean Geek Podcast. We'll see you guys on the flip side. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. And bye. Have a good day. Hey, gang. Sean Geek here. And Fast Fret. And we have two storefronts. If you are a Public fan, you can browse our inventory over at Public, which is tpublic.com forward slash Sean Geek podcast. Or redbubble.com slash people slash Sean Geek podcast. You can get anything from either storefront, from T-shirts, stickers, phone cases, accessories of all kinds. We're talking masks, notebooks, mugs, pillows, totes, tapestries. Oh, my. 
Oh my, <laughs> everything's there. Just go to those addresses. Also check the show notes and help support the show. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.